up everybody welcome to swat mma my name is jared i'm here with paul what up this is episode number 171 and today we're going to be talking all about ufc 292 sterling versus o'malley we're going to be talking a bit about boxing we're going to talk a little bit about conor mcgregor before we get to that and the other combat sports though you know what time it is grab your stash fire it on up let's get into the weed of the week smoke weed every day All right, so this week we have a very interesting strain. Um, so this is actually a part of um, one of the top ten strains of the summer. Mm. Uh, this is called Trop Cherry. Uh, it's a mixture of Tropicana cookies and cherry cookies. Um, so, you know, you're going to have a pretty fruit-forward and citrusy kind of taste on that one. It looks nice. Um and this one is pretty cool about this is this is sold nationwide, so you can get this all everywhere that they sell legal cannabis. In over 400 and, uh, 456 U.S. stores, this strain is sold. So, Oh, that is tasty. Yeah. That's this is nice. also, uh, it's a hybrid, but it's a uh, sativa-leaning hybrid. That's what I prefer. Yeah, me too. I can't get a full-on sativa. Gotta get that duality. Yeah, I, I do like the hybrids that lean more towards the sativa rain. Yeah, that tastes real, real nice. <clears throat> what you got in the pen there too today? Uh, this is some Twizzler made by uh, Lit. <clears throat> some live resin in the pen. Um, they've been having this cool deal at this uh, dis- at the dispensary down here that me and you always frequent, where they got these pens like. These $20 deals they're doing like every Wednesday and Thursday or something like that. That they're doing uh, half gram pens for 20 bucks, eighths for 20 bucks, and uh, grams of live resin. And it's always uh, made by Lawson Translation, which is one of my favorite companies, anyways. So yeah, for real. Always picking those up. You know who else has good deals right now? Who's that? Binoid. They sponsor this segment for us. And if you want to help out the podcast, you can use our links over on SWATMMA.com. You'll get 15 to 20% off your order, depending on what it is. And you can find the best in CBD and Delta 9 THC products while they still remain legal. SWATMMA.com. Binoid. All right, dude. Oh, let's talk about the UFC's last weekend's main event, just for one reason, because this we saw Vincente Luque make his comeback fight here after his brain hemorrhage against uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. This is at welterweight, mm-hmm. uh, where Dos Anjos has had mixed results here lately, and we once again get a wrestling-heavy victory, but not for Dos Anjos, as you might think, hearing that, but for Luque, who's never fought a fight like this in the UFC, frankly. And it was only his second time in his UFC career going five rounds. Um, and... I thought it was a really interesting um, result just because it's not that Luke isn't a great grappler because he is a black belt in jiu-jitsu. We just normally see him in the UFC in his last few fights handle things on the feet. and Honestly, pretty much over his whole career, he's always kind of been handled yeah, on the He's feet. been known for his, his entertaining striking. Yeah. But, look, he gets the win here. Is he a different fighter? Was it just playing it smart? Well, I think another thing that's interesting about what he did in there, too, is and they kind of alluded to it in the um, in the broadcast, but Luke is is the kind of 
fighter who's been fighting at 170 his whole career and is naturally at that like weight class. Whereas RDA, we've seen him bounce all over the place. We've seen him go to 55, 70. There was even, even wasn't there a time where he tried to chop to 45? Like his body's changed over the years and like over his career. And I feel like we saw in that fight just a naturally bigger guy being able to handle and just be stronger than, you know, RDA who kind of has, you know, He's had mixed, like you said before, had mixed results at 170, so he's kind of always dipped his toe in the water, but I don't know if he's ever really fully decided that, like, 170 is going to be his career move, or is he going to go to 55 and take a fight here and there, and if they go good or bad, he'll go back to 70 or back to 55. I feel like that kind of has always been, he's a tweener, you know what I mean? Sure. Well, let's talk about Luke for a second. How come you don't think he faces the same criticism that Corey Sandhagen got uh, for his victory a couple of weeks ago using a wrestling-heavy attack to gain a victory? And keep in mind that Corey Sandhagen tore his tricep in the first round and was compromised. Luke just decided to implant a, to use a different game plan. I haven't heard anybody talking about it. Dana White didn't get up and walk out. Yeah, that was interesting. Et cetera. That's interesting. Is it just, was all that coincidence? Is that just the MMA sphere doing what the MSA sphere does because Corey was expected to do something different? Or, yeah, I don't know. Does he get a pass because of this brain hemorrhage thing? People are like, oh, it's good he didn't take blows to the head. Yeah. He doesn't want to strike. They don't want to talk shit on him. I don't know. I I think that a lot of people going into this fight with RDA didn't expect it, maybe. And it wasn't that they were expecting like the fireworks that maybe someone like a Corey Sandhagen brings. Yeah, that could be. And then also, I do think that when you look at RDA, I don't think he is really the super, you know, exciting and, like, known for, like, crazy finishes like both Sandhagen and, um, God damn it, no, I'm blanking on Who did Corey fight last week? Um. Rob Font. Rob Font, yeah. Yeah, that's who we Rob Font is people. known for, you know, some, some really, in, like, you know, pace level, like, striking where he breaks you down <clears> over five, five or three rounds, obviously, depending on the fight. And I think that Corey was kind of known for that also, whereas, <laughs> like, in this fight, RDA is kind of known to be more of a grappler and use grappling with his strikes, whereas, like, Luke was the only one who was really the... The super exciting striker, I guess. Well, speaking for the majority of the MMA fans, honestly, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that label. I I thought it was a pretty boring ass fight. Yeah, it's kind of boring. It was once again another pretty boring ass card from the Apex. And there was a <laughs> terrible robbery at the co-main event. Cub Swanson did not deserve to win that fight. Even Cub Swanson didn't think he won that fight. I mean, he gets the decision unanimous. Yeah, Kim Duan um, got floored. It was very very odd, but whatever. I mean, Cub gets the win. And all around, just not a very entertaining card. So let's move past that. Uh, let's talk a little bit before we get to the upcoming fights. We had uh, Anthony Joshua facing a late replacement in boxing of Robert Hellenus, who, you know, we just saw fight Deontay Wilder. Now there's talk, you know, with, with AJ's victory, which is a TKO in the seventh round. I mean, it was a pretty sick knockout, but it yeah. did take him seven rounds to get there. He did not set the world afire with his performance once again. It's a really slow start. And, you know, he did the same thing in his last fight against somebody whose name I already have forgotten. I mean, let's be real here. Um, and now he's talking about he wants to fight Deontay Wilder, which is a possibility on this upcoming Saudi card because we're going to get the Nganu, uh fury fight. Mm-hmm. Wilder doesn't really seem to be doing anything. He was going to fight Ruiz, but that kind of just seems to have 
fell apart. Yeah. And maybe he's just going to wait for Anthony Joshua, which the timing would work out for first quarter next year if they were going to do that. But after seeing, you know, Wilder, what starts Helenus in, is either the first or the second round. Something like that. Very violently and very fast. And seeing AJ take so long to do it, I just, I don't think he can stop that lightning hand of Wilder's. I don't think his chin has the durability. And I just don't really think he wants that smoke. I don't think he stands a prayer. Yeah, I think it's a tough matchup for him at this point in his career, too, taking the losses to Usyk twice and obviously to Ruiz before. Like, it's kind of a do or die if he were to lose to uh, to Wilder. It would kind of take him out of the upper echelon of the heavyweight division, I would say. So I'm excited for the fight. Like, I'll watch it. Don't get me wrong. It's a great fight. They should There's do stakes. the matchup. I just think at this point with what we've seen from AJ, Wilder hasn't been very active since the Fury fight. He's just got... The one went over. The one, but does he really need to do much more? We know who he is. He's still got it. If your name isn't Fury, in. you're you're just not going to take those shots. And also, that it kind of just turns into what's the name that they want to put in front of him, you know? Because mm-hmm. uh, kind of he's kind of in a flux when you talk about where his career is at, just like Joshua is. And I think him and Joshua makes the most sense for both guys to make at least one more big like pay-per-view that doesn't necessarily have to be for a title, you know. <laughs> Conor McGregor was at that fight. Yeah. Conor McGregor gets uh, interviewed by old Gareth, and he makes a few statements, and he says that he is going to be fighting Michael Chandler in December still, as yeah. planned. Mm-hmm. Then he says he's going to fight Justin Gaethje for the BMF belt. Then he says he's going to do the trilogy with Nate. Also said some other weird things as well. Fill us in. Basically, I don't know if it was... Here's my problem. I'm, I'll tell you the comments and I'll tell you my problem with them. So he said that he's going to fight KSI in a bare-knuckle boxing match. He did. Which is stupid as fuck. Because I don't even think that's a real thing. <laughs> I think that's just him seeing what happened with Nate and Jake and seeing it like actually is something viable like money wise and then being a part of that little BKFC event he was back when you know when it was um you know, you know Perry Perry and the, 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 all the big that, 41. that was just a great yeah. night of him being a part of like BKFC and everything like that yeah. and then seeing what that Nate and Jake card did you know cause that was I there's no way that card like uh, don't get me wrong I don't like what they're doing but there's no denial that Nate and Jake financially and commercially was a success. Yeah, all indications would say that shit for sure. But, I mean, he can't bare-knuckle box KSI unless he finishes up his UFC contract and he's talking about later. But KSI is going to be gone from the scene by that time. Because Connor ain't fighting nobody anytime soon. Let's circle back to what he says this in the realm of possibility, which is Chandler, Gaethje, Nate. Um, let's just focus on Chandler. Do you really think that happens? He's missed the window to get into... Yeah, but USADA also, by December. So is he going to get the exemption? Is this what it's all about? I don't even think he has to get the exemption, bro, because at the end of the day, USADA is not really a governing body of the UFC, man. Like as much as people, as much as you, the UFC has. But USADA leaned, suspends people. That they do, but as much as they've leaned on USADA for those suspensions and shit like that, the UFC also and. This would probably be the third or fourth time now has, 
bypassed everything USADA says when it comes to a large dollar amount being next to the fight. Like, the whole thing that went on, like, the UFC was helping John Jones get through all the arbitration and all the shit to, to get... Yeah, then there's the Brock Islam. exemption, and then, then the there's Brock the Islam Makhachev IV thing. Islam, that is possibility. all these like sh- all this shit but, that the UFC buries uh, or uh, gets exemplified by USADA for them to make money. I can <laughs> see him getting some kind of exemption like Lesnar did, I suppose, because the UFC can just do that. I think they can, but and that's what's gonna <clears> happen. And Dana kind of let it slip when he was said infamously the other day. He was like, I don't care what Usada says. Fuck Usada. Yeah. Then he had to backtrack on that a little bit. Like, well, I didn't really mean that. But you did. Yeah, you did, though. You fucking did. Um, <clears throat> all right. Let's say he gets that fight. Chandler or Gaethje? Let's say he gets the Chandler fight. And for the sake of any of this working out, he obviously has to win that fight. Yeah. Which I think is... um, It's winnable. It's winnable, but I just don't know. Connor's an enigma now. I mean, if this was Connor McGregor that had been in the UFC this whole time fighting, yeah, he'd whoop Chandler's ass. If this was a Connor that fought Eddie Alvarez, yeah, I'd go with him all day. Oh no, this is Connor on his Lamborghini yacht, fucking living the, the pimp life that we see everybody faking on Instagram. This dude's doing for real. And there's yeah. no denying it. So I don't know. Maybe he's putting in hella gym time too, but I just, I don't know. Let's say he wins it, though, and he goes against Gaethje. I think Gaethje beats him, probably. Uh, My problem with... I mean, he doesn't have to worry about the wrestling with Gaethje at all. No. I, I mean, mean it's maybe. Just, it's I just, just going to be a stand-up maybe he fight. he just would do that just because. Wouldn't that be some shit if, if they fought and Gaethje takes him down? That's what he did against Fazeev? Slamming seven takedowns against him. Yeah, but for the first time ever. That's what I mean. That'd be crazy. It's like... Yeah. I don't know. I don't think he can beat Gaethje anymore either. Gaethje's a fucking dog. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe, again, Prime Connor's different, but I just don't think that dude's around anymore. Mm-mm. Um, I mean, look at Connor's fucking face, bro. You seen this dude lately? I mean, bad. look at him as a side-by-side comparison from what he looked like when he fought Floyd. Just his facial structure. Like, he's taken so many steroids or growth hormone or whatever the fuck he's doing that his face is different. Like, he doesn't look like the same dude. There's YouTube videos on it now, too. People are noticing this shit. Interesting. I don't know. I haven't seen any of it. Yeah. And it's not just because he shaved his beard. <laughs> you know? So, I don't know. Um, I would love to see Connor fight. I don't believe any of this is happening, though. Like, I don't think he's fighting <laughs> Michael Chandler in December. Maybe if the views were Chandler's crushing the most it for, fight. Uh, for tough, the views aren't crushing it for tough. It's yeah, better than last average. season, but... And that's not really Connor's fault. There's not too many people outside of hardcore gives a fuck about tough anymore. And not only that, I think overall the fights themselves outside of last week's fight have not been like super duper interesting. I haven't been watching it. I'm and not going to act like I have. It's also, I mean, I have. The Jason Knight fight we just yeah, watched before. I have was vested good. interest. Though. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's why. Kurt Hollenbach, uh, Jason Knight was a banger. Yeah, it was a banger. And I mean, you got friends on the show. Yeah. So. So it's like interesting. But outside of that, it's not interesting. They they kind of fucked everybody over too because they brought in a bunch of prospects who have like seven eight fights and terrible against these guys who have like twenty eight fucking fights. Yeah, they put them all on this one team against the other team. I mean, they handicapped Connor with the the newbies, and it's just what can you do? Not newbies, but like there's a big difference between ex UFC fighters and and guys who've never been there before. 
Well, yeah, and that and that's usually what you get to face when you're in the UFC. It's not prospect. Chandler's usually... team didn't win so many because Chandler's some kind of fucking genius. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Well, and it's kind of something we'll talk about later in the show when we talk about the upcoming pay-per-view. But, like, a guy like Ian Gary is, like, like that that same thing. If you would have put him on, on the fucking Ultimate Fighter when he had six, seven wins and you put him against, you know, a guy who's got fucking 30 fights, like, like okay, perfect examples. Jason Knight, his first fight in, in tough. Jason Knight's got almost, like, fucking 40 fights in his career. But the guy he fought was seven and three. Like, yeah, naturally he's going to hit him with some, you know, some ringmanship and some some stuff that kid's yeah. never seen because that's what happens when you don't have tons and tons of octagon experience and all that kind of stuff. That and that's why I feel like he, what kind of what you're saying, kind of handicapped their whole team. It's just like, here's the biggest biggest thing of here's the biggest test of your life, and you got two rounds to prove yourself. You know what I mean? Like, that's crazy. And finally, before we circle into, you know, UFC's 292 pay-per-view, we had a BKFC event, uh, BKFC 48 from Albuquerque, New Mexico, which saw a New Mexico native friend of John Jones, former training partner of John Jones. Is he still uh, messing around with Winkle, John, and uh, Oh Boy? I think so. So too well, he fought for the inaugural BKFC flyweight title against J.R. Ridge. We're talking John the Magician Dodson, and man, first round TKO, another sensational outing by this dude. I mean, he's just overwhelming from the start. He he's so fast, and he lands so many punches and bunches, and then he bounces right back out. Paul, it's fucking shocking. Like. He's dangerous on the inside, he's dangerous on the outside, and nobody can touch him, and he's blitzing these fools yep. left and right. Um, he's one of those guys that we've kind of talked about in the past with uh, this BKFC, like, kind of evolution overall since it started. He's one of those guys that has, like, a perfect, perfect, like, style for BKFC, man. The fucking speed he has and the precision he has and his ability to pop in and out, like we were talking about before, is just... It's just not seen in the sport yet. You know what I mean? He's fucking fast, man. Holy shit, he's fast. And he's got power yeah. in there, too. And his power combined with Humble. the speed that he's moving, I think he's going to have a long title reign, and BKFC would be wise to sign him to a few fights if they can, just like they did uh, Mike Perry. Well, they're letting him fight MMA also because he was fighting in Risen like six months ago. Yeah, they're being pretty lenient with their contracts, which is pretty smart on their part. Mm-hmm. And finally, before we talk about that, let's mention that Mike Perry did resign with uh, BKFC. Yeah, multi-fight, uh, multi-fight deal. deal. Very smart on their part. I, I thought they would announce a fight with it, but... Smart on his part as well, I think. Do you think UFC made him an offer? Do you think he tried? Probably. Because I would think so. They liked him before, and he's made headlines since. He's beaten well-known fighters since, albeit in boxing and bare-knuckle boxing, but he's done it. I would think that they would have at least made an offer. And I think he's much smarter to stay with BKFC, frankly. Well, I also do think that what it always should come down to and what it probably did come down to in the end is probably money. You know what I mean? This is prize fighting. You know, if if you're getting offered... That money, and also what I do like about Mike Perry's maybe position in the sport is now, if he were to come in, let's say he wins his next fight, wins the belt, 
he's kind of carrying the shield of bare knuckle fighting. Like he's probably the most popular, most eyes are on him. Like, and if he's a champion on top of that too, like I feel like it's it's more important for him to become a face of an organization than to become another name on the UFC's roster that yeah, is too. interesting, but at the end of the day, they're still not. Well, these guys are making their name the in a new sport, and it's going to last. There's a difference between being the guy and being part of the team. And mm-hmm. in, in Mike Perry's case, in BKFC, he's the guy. I've heard and exactly one fighter complain about BKFC's treatment, and that was Tiago Alves. Yeah. Nobody else has said shit, and they've had some big names come in there. Michael Venom Page comes in there and takes a fight. He's not leaving being like, fuck BKFC. Mm-hmm. No, nobody is. Even Paulie Malignaggi comes in. He didn't leave bitter with his pay. Yeah. Artem, famously, Artem's bitter about all kinds of shit. He's not talking shit on BKFC, and that was even when they were smaller. Yeah. But they got that thriller cash. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't just, I don't hear it, and I just think that's significant because we hear it all the time from the UFC fighters, for example. Well, yeah, you've had boxers come in. You've had people come in and not have... <clears throat> really the exact um, result of what they expected it to be also, like Luke Rockhold and you know, Paige Van Zandt and people sure. like that who have like never gone out of their way to shit on their But you know what they're, yeah, you know what they're doing? They're not shitting on BKFC as an organization, even yeah. though they're taking L's. Like, and that Rockhold to wasn't too happy with the experience because he got his ass kicked. He wasn't happy with the ass kicking, but he's, he hasn't said shit about his pay, and he's yeah. just famously talking shit on UFC, because I think if there was any type of problem, he'd be like, yeah, fuck these guys too. Yeah. But no, and I just think that's significant. It is. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to see it and looking forward to more BKFC shit. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to get in these big fighters, and I hope uh, I hope they continue to get more. I agree. All right. Dive into the big event upcoming as we end the show here. UFC 292 is Aljamain Sterling making a quick turnaround against Sean O'Malley in Boston. Got the hometown crowd for O'Malley. We got a handful of good fights. Not a whole lot. It's kind of a lighter card, but it is top heavy. Yeah. Um, I'm just kind of looking over all these fights real quick. What would you say is the one you're most excited to see? I mean, it's the main event. But Is there let's any, like, say dark that dark horse ones though that you're like oh, really excited for. Uh, Chris Chris Weidman's making a return against Brad Tavares. Yeah, All should right. be interesting. Tavares is coming off what the loss to Silva, the loss to Duplessis, and we all know what's up with Weidman. I mean, yeah. we haven't seen Weidman since that horrible fucking shit with his leg. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just having mixed emotions about that. I'm curious how he does. Weidman's fall from from championship level was shocking and quick and now he's almost a forgotten piece of nobody talks about him they talk about Silva they talk about Anderson all the time they talk yeah. about fucking Izzy. you know Izzy non-stop but nobody mentions fucking Weidman it's Even like Bisbing. he's That's forgotten it. I, dude people talk more about Michael Bisping being the middleweight champion absolutely they Weidman. do and it was Weidman who came along and fucked up Silva for real the first mm-hmm. time so damn that's crazy time. those have really only been the only f- well shit there's only been six middleweight champions ever, huh? I do believe Because, oh, wait, no, I'm, I'm a modern UFC. Modern, guy, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, no, I'm fucked that so up. So I'm curious There's about, yeah, you're a little high right now, but that's all right. Um, Chris Weidman, Bad Tavares, I mean, I don't even know who to pick because who knows what Chris looks like, who knows what he's been doing. He could come out and be a beast. 
he could come out and be the Weidman of old. He's got all this time off, his brain injuries, if he had any, like any accumulated damage that he's had from not just his leg, clearly, but everything else you take as a fighter that just builds up. He's definitely healed up from that now. It's not like he's been getting knocked around for the past couple years. He could come out a fucking new man. He could come out the Chris of old. He doesn't have a whole lot of fights, man. Yeah, but it also could go the other way. He could also go in there and look like he hasn't fought in two years. Look yeah. like he hasn't had hard hardcore training in two years. But like I don't know about the. He's with Sierra Longo though. They don't fuck around out there. No, no, I'm not saying know? like in that in that realm. I just mean like ring rust wise. Like, look, just like sometimes what we see. I'll use BJ Penn as a perfect example. Oh, he's so, that's no, rough. because that's that's where Chris kind of is BJ right Penn, now. Though. No, yes, BJ Penn lost eight in a goddamn row. No, no, I'm talking about not at the end of his career. I'm talking. Let me finish. All right. When BJ <laughs> King retired from the UFC and took like three, four years off, and then came back, and his <laughs> first fight was against Yair Rodriguez. Yeah, that was rough. That was the beginning of the end for him yeah, because in, this is what I'm saying: is if Chris Weidman comes in. And Brad Tavares is just on a different pace level and a different, like, actual... Because Brad's... Although he's had some mixed results, Brad's been in the mix for the last five years, fighting some of the best guys in the world. And Chris has just had to sit on the sideline and watch everything. So if he comes in there and he's just not used to that same pace that he once fought at and that same, like, level that he was fighting at before, this could be the beginning of the end. Oh, it definitely could be. Because what, Weidman's like 36, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's not young. <clears throat> I I hate to say it, but I think that that's a very similar comparison. <laughs> because Weidman has had some real rough results since he lost since he lost the belt to Rockhold. Had, before he broke his leg, it wasn't it wasn't like everything was all sunshine and rainbows and he broke his leg and derailed his Weidman's career leading up to him breaking his leg was not like something that was just all sunshine and rainbows. He had some real tough outings that had happened, and then he had won one or two and got back into the mix, and then he breaks his leg. So it's not that far-fetched to think that this could be a very pivotal fight and whether he continues his career or doesn't. You know, depending on what you, how you, much you believe in Chris Weidman, it could be a good value. He's at, sitting at about plus 225 as an average across the sports books right now, and if you think he's still got it, that could be the value bet of the card right there. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll see. It just depends, basically, because we don't have any evidence to base any betting on on that other than your general feelings about Chris Weidman as a fighter. If you think he's going to come out and do it, then that could be it. Otherwise, avoid that one, betting-wise. Yep. But I'm, I'm really rooting for Chris here. I'm a Weidman fan, always have been. I hope he comes out and, and he fucking... Does his thing, man. I like yeah. the team. He's a teammates with Sterling. It'd be nice for everybody to come out and get a fucking win if possible. Yeah, that too. Um, Marlon Vera is fighting Pedro Munoz on here at Bantamweight. That's a privity. Privity. That's my new word. Uh, that's a pretty important match for Vera. He's going to want to pick up a victory here and remain in the title mix. Yeah, and then this is also Pedro Munoz stepping in for what was supposed to be Marlon Vera versus Henry Cejudo and was originally the co-main event of this card. Yes, Cejudo pulled out with a shoulder injury, which was ironic because he tried to get to fight with Sean O'Malley when Aljamain Sterling was saying that he needed more time to deal with an injury, and it's just a little bit funny because he was calling Aljo a pussy. Yeah. And then he does the same thing. 
But I'm all. I think fighters. You shouldn't fight injured. Like Duplessis is not fighting uh, Adesanya in Australia, and that's smart. Don't take a fight with the champ on short notice if you're injured. Aljamain Sterling's been fighting for two and a half years now with the torn bicep. Aljamain Sterling is underrated as hell. <laughs> Super underrated. That dude's crazy. But we'll get into that later. We'll we will. Later. Yes. This fight. Right now, Marlon Vera, Pedro Munoz. Look, Munoz hasn't looked too good here of late. I think Vera's going to eat him up and get right back on track. Yeah, because, I mean, Vera's had, had some kind of mixed results. You know, he's he was pretty much a, a fight away from that title going into that Corey Sandhagen fight, and I thought he got beat pretty handedly there. Like, the odds makers see it about the same as well. Yeah. Vera's about a minus 180. Munoz is a plus 155, and I wouldn't bet that for nothing on Munoz. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. But Vera's a dog. I think he's got a lot of fight left in him here career-wise. Mm-hmm. And he can make another run here up at the title. Yeah. So 135 is such a shark tank, too. Like, you're, you're, uh, the, Getting a win over someone like a Munoz would be a, a very quality win in a division that is full of killers. And regardless of what happens uh, in the Sean O'Malley-Ajamain-Sterling fight, we're going to have a change in the title, it would seem, here after yeah. this fight. Because all indications would say that Sterling's most likely to move up even with a victory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and clearly with a loss, that's what he's going to do. So it opens the door up for guys like Vera. And he's got the history with O'Malley already. Mm-hmm. For sure. Because you could see the UFC doing something like if Sterling wins and vacates, they want O'Malley so bad they could feel that there's a story if Vera gets a big win here that they could do O'Malley-Vera 2 for the for the title, yeah. especially because um, Sandhagen's got the torn tricep mm-hmm. and nobody's really demanding wanting to see him fight and then necessarily. Also, uh, it's not his fault, yeah. but he did what he had to do, but he didn't come out of there with a lot of people screaming to see him fight again. Here not right only away. that, I also think people are kind of over the let's give Henry Sudo as many chances as we can. Dude, I'm not even fucking thinking of Henry Sudo in this mix. Yeah, but that's kind of... He's I mean, staying I know in he's the mix. There. One person I do want to throw in there that we didn't though is I do think if if Sterling steps away from the from the division that Marab deserves. Oh yeah, a there's Marab shot for sure. Yeah, I could just see, and I could see Marab uh, O'Malley as well, but I could see also see the UFC rushing the Vera O'Malley storyline if they had any opportunity to do so. Yeah, that too. Yeah, I agree. Well, who do you ultimately have in the fight? Vera. Me too. Yeah. Vera by TKO. Yeah, I think so. I think Vera gets a, a TKO, and I think probably in the second round. Yeah, I would go second or third round with that action. Uh, Neil Magny stepping in to face Ian Gary. Short notice. At welterweight. Well. Ian Gary's a fucking beast, man. He's a beast, and, and he called for this Magny fight originally. Ended up being... Um, he sure uh, did. Ends up being this fight anyway, so... That's all that really matters, I would say. Yeah, he's really impressive. I mean, I like Neil. Neil's a dog. We all know that. Neil's got big balls. He's stepping up. He's fighting a really hot prospect who Ian Gary has impressed at every outing. As his competition gets higher, his, he continues to impress and deliver mm-hmm. the same as he has uh, against lower competition. This is going to be a really big fight for Ian because I think if he does win this fight, you have to really start thinking about him as a contender in the division. Well, yeah, and he's right up near the top of the card as well. He's in Boston, and, you know, he's an Irish lad. Boston is a famously Irish city. That's why O'Malley's there getting, you know, the so-called home crowd. I mean, Ian Gary's an overwhelming favorite, 
in the odds makers. He's minus 425. I think that's a dangerous thing to be, though, with a guy against, like Neil Magny. Because he is he's known for that this kind of stuff. You know, the guys who come up in the division, everyone thinks is going to be the next guy, and he just kind of shortens, you know, shortens the hype train just, just a little bit. Pumping the brakes just yeah, a Yeah, I don't think he's Neil pumping any of these brakes here, personally. I think he's going to get... Uh, what are Neil's odds at? Uh, they're plus 325. I'll think about just throwing 20 at it just because... I, I think Ian Gary will win, but... That's worth a lower... That's probably worth a lower amount of money bet, you know. Just because. I like a good just because. I might win. put a bill on Weidman because... A I, bill on Weidman? You think it's that close? I don't know. I hate it. I hate it when uh, I only bet a little bit on the, on fights I'm confident yeah. on, but I'm not confident on that Weidman fight. I don't know. Yeah, it's more sure. of a nostalgia bet. I'm not going to bet any money on that. <laughs> I'm just saying. If I was, I'd bet a bill on him. Billion. Billy. <laughs> they take that at the sports book when I roll in. Good old Bill. Billy, Billy. Um, you know, we did have Cody Garbrandt versus Mario Bautista on this card, but Garbrandt was injured. That shit got pulled off. The oh, dude, I didn't know that. Yeah, card's a little bit light-handed due to that. We've got uh, Kurt Holubaw fighting Austin Hubbard for the uh, the finals in the Tough Championship as well on here. Yeah, and then there will be another the uh, the Bantamweight Ultimate Fighter final on there also, but it obviously finishes the, you know, pre-recorded season yeah, Tuesday, yeah. which means you'll either get Connor's guy or uh, Cody Gibson fighting in the finals. Right, so there'll be one more on there from the tough finale. Um, mm-hmm. So that will beef the card up a little bit, you yeah. know, losing that uh, Garbrandt fight. But now as we get to the top, we do have the two title fights here. All right, as we've 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 mentioned the main event. We haven't really said anything about the co-main event, which is, uh, you know, Zhang Wali versus... Amanda Limos, mm-hmm. and this is uh, for the straw weight title. We do have Rosanama Yunus leaving this division and going up to one twenty five, and I think that has a big impact on on the division and who gets next fight here after this. Because I would think she would have been right in the mix. Um, what do you think here? You know, initially look at this. Uh, Amanda is thirteen two and one. Wiley is 23 and 3. They're both about the same height. Reach goes a little bit towards Amanda, just a couple inches. We've got a southpaw versus a switch. They're roughly the same age, roughly the same average strikes per minute. Who do you think's got the advantage here on this? Hmm. And we've got she's got that loss to Andrade. We're talking about Lemos here. Yeah. And then she does have the win over the karate hottie and then over Rodriguez. Yeah, I don't really know how to gauge this fight because obviously Zhang Weili's uh, only losses are to are to Rose, but I don't know what version of Zhang Weili shows up to this fight because I think sometimes she looks like she's right up there in the women's pound for pound list, and obviously she is. But I mean, with like you know the dominant side of things, whether. Because there was that big run she went on earlier in her career where people were saying that, oh, well, the fight maybe isn't, you know, uh, Valentina versus Amanda. Maybe Zhang Li needs to go up and fight um, fight the bullet. But now... Yeah, get out of here. That's what people were talking about. I know about. they were. But I'm just saying that, like, that that was the, the general consensus when she first 
held the title. Now yeah, that we've seen her. when she beat Yin Jae Chek for the first time. Yeah. And then, she, and then yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like, and, like, I feel like now with the losses to Nami Yunus and what we, we've seen, like, where she's, like, human and what parts of her game, I think it's this division is seen like it's more open than it was before. Like, I think Lemos is not seen as, like, this huge underdog that she would have been seen had Zhang Weili still only had just the one loss in her career. No, the, the Nama Yunus fights, we haven't... Here's my problem with Weili is, honestly, we haven't seen that much here in the last five fights that tell us any more about her. She yeah. comes in and she beats Young Jacek for the title. Okay, that was impressive. Young Jacek was a great champion. She's also getting older at that time. There's an argument to be made that she was past her prime because she... Basically left the sport shortly thereafter, after getting a second. Anyways, we'll get to that. But then she gets beat by Nama Yunus. Then she gets the back. She gets that fight again, and she gets beat again by Nama Yunus. Then by circumstance, you know that that terrible Carla Esparza bomb Nami fight Yunus, of yeah. Nama Yunus loses the title. Carla Esparza gets it. She gets so Wiley gets yet another win over who Young Jacek again. But we already know she can win that fight. That wasn't any new information. We know you can beat her. Mm-hmm. And then she fights Esparza for the title. And look, I, I like Carla personally. I'm a fan. We all knew how that was going to go. Yeah. There's just certain matchups you can see. Like, this is this isn't, this ain't it. Well, as MMA math doesn't add up though. with Nama Yunus beats Wiley. Carla beats Nama Yunus. Carla can beat Wiley. No, no. Mm-hmm. She's going to get run over. Yeah. And she did. Um. But does that mean that Wiley is this unstoppable force that we all thought she was before she started running into young J-Checks and Nama Yunus's? I don't know. I'm still not really sold. I'm not saying she sucks or anything. I'm just yeah. not sold that she could... The dominant, I think she's going to have her hands full with Amanda Lemos is yeah. what I'm saying. And she could. we could definitely see the title change hands. And as I a matter think, of fact, that's my pick. I think Lemos, like her loss to Andrade, like is, is not that big of a deal when you go back-to-back wins over Marina Rodriguez and then Karate Hadi in a division that kind of was stuck in that that three-person matchup you were just saying, yeah. where it was like, and Jacek fights Rose, and Rose beats her, but then Rose uh, wins, loses. To, like There was just this weird little top-of-the-division um, matchup thing that we were stuck in where those three or four were the only people at the top of the division. Now, with you know, Joanna retired, Rose moving weight classes, and then, you know, obviously Carla's still there, but that was a pretty, you know, pretty... Styles make fight. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I'm I'm, I'm trying to be nice about it, but it was pretty bad. I I know. It was pretty bad. And I think this is a chance for someone like Amanda Lemos to really shake this division up and prove that it's not just the top and everybody else, but everyone else has been sitting back and watching and taking notes of of these top-of-the-division fighters. And this could be a lot closer than people are giving it credit for. Well, she's a plus-250 underdog. Most of the sports books have uh, Wiley at plus-300 or even greater. I mean, minus-300 even greater. Uh, I'm picking Lemos here, though. I think I think she's got what it takes. I think Lemos is a new champ. I think that's a pretty good bet, too, if you're, you know, maybe I'll plus-250. Maybe I'll go Neil Magny and Amanda Lemos. You could do a uh, you could do a parlay with Weidman, Magny, and Lemos. I'm actually calculate that right now because uh, I have I have the Caesars app online. I, I bet that pays out pretty pretty sporty. Yeah, but yeah, I I don't see that fight between Wiley and and Amanda Lemos being like that. That tip like 
stylistically is not going to be the reason yeah. that she loses. Dude, that would be a trifecta of pretty significant underdogs. Fuck yeah, it would. Let's see here. But let's move on to the main event while I do that. Yeah, well, it's finally time for O'Malley's title shot. I mean, the UFC has been waiting for this for years. <laughs> for real. I mean, they fast-tracked Connor. It's been a slower rise for O'Malley. But uh, here we are. It's in Boston. This is his moment. I think the problem is he's going up against somebody who's extremely talented and still slightly underrated. And I don't know if O'Malley has what it takes to handle Aljamain Sterling's wrestling. God damn it, they don't have that Ian Gary and... Neil Magny fight on there yet. Mm, that's too bad. But I think that's what this really comes down to is the wrestling of Sterling, which we saw on full display against Henry Cejudo. Yeah, I think that the whole thing we can talk about Aljamain Sterling is people just love to hate him for some reason, man. Yeah, I don't really understand it. A lot of it's just due to circumstance. But... Look, O'Malley's usually got length on people, but he actually doesn't here. He's got height. It's 5'11 versus 5'7. Sterling is a much shorter individual, but the reach is almost identical. O'Malley's 72 inches, Aljo's 71, and that's what actually matters. It does. It matters in more ways than one, though, because I do think he doesn't have the striking advantage, but also the grappling advantage that Aljamain Sterling will, that he already has. I think it matters even more that he's the same length wingspan wise with uh O'Malley. So even if O'Malley tries to keep him on the outside, he's still gonna have a hard time stopping him from taking him down. Yeah, I see this being played out kind of in the trend that we've seen here the past few weeks. It's gonna be a wrestling heavy attack from Al Jermaine Sterling. I mean I don't think he's gonna immediately rush in for the double leg or anything, but mm-hmm. it's gonna start off on the feet like it always does. But over the course of, of five rounds I think he's going to grind out a win using his wrestling to gain an advantage. I agree, but one thing I do want to give, I'll, I'll give some credit where it's due. I do think O'Malley has a better jujitsu game than people give him credit for. And uh, one thing that's kind of circled, circulated on, online about this fight is it going, it's going to be a big quick takedown for Aljo and a quick submission. And I think although Aljo will employ a uh, real heavy wrestling uh, you know, game, I don't think it's going to be something where he kind of just goes in there, takes him down and subs him real quick. I think O'Malley's going to be able to maybe initiate some scrambles or at least keep him from just, you know, passing guard all super easy and moving from position to position with ease. It's going to be a, more of a more of a scramble on bottom than people are, are thinking. I agree. I think that's dead on. Um, I don't think it's going to be an easy fight. And I think that O'Malley could be champ at another time. Like if Aljamain does vacate, I still think there's plenty of time for Sterling to possibly take that title. I mean, for O'Malley, excuse me, to take that title. But I just, I don't think he has what it takes at this time to beat who's essentially the greatest active bantamweight right now. Not just because he's the champion, but I think with his resume, uh, with his skill sets, he's getting thrown on the pound for pound list a lot. I'm not calling him the GOAT like a lot of people are because, as we've often talked on the show, he's an active fighter. It's just too hard to do that right now. But he definitely holds the record for defenses. You can't deny it. And he's 
finding a way to win against world class opposition. And, and I do think, think Alzheimer's do his his resume is super underrated, man. Like, yeah, he has a loss of Marais, but like outside of that, he's pretty much beat everybody who's been considered the top of the division over the last five years. There's no one you can really look at and be like, oh, you know, he's a champion, but he, he didn't fight this guy, and maybe that guy would have beat him. No, he's fought everybody. He's fought the Dillashaws, everybody. It's not his fault Dillashaw came in slightly. He fought Sandhagen, Dillashaw. He smoked Sandhagen. Rivera, what was that, like a half-a-minute fight? Munoz. Like, yeah. He, Aljamain Sterling is by far the most underrated champion in the UFC, and people have this super bad taste in their mouth because of that, that disqualification win that got him the title in the first place. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, is not only the man has the record for the defense for defenses now, but he also righted that wrong when he fought Jan, and since then Jan has not looked the same. No. So like this. He cracked the code on how to beat Peter Yon. And if you look at every single time he's lost since, it's been in very similar fashion. Yeah. Whether it's how he lost to Marab. I mean, I don't think he lost to O'Malley, but kind of when he fought O'Malley, he tried to he tried to turn the table and become the wrestler, and it didn't work for him. I mean, so I feel like his confidence has been shooken since he, that loss to, to Sterling the second time. And I just don't think people give Aljamain Sterling the credit he deserves. He fucking out-wrestled an Olympic gold medal wrestler in his yeah. last fight over yeah. five rounds. Like, was hitting him with shit that just nobody does that to Henry Cejudo. Nobody he took hits Cejudo Henry down Cejudo. five times. Dude, no one does that. And he, and Cejudo uh, was only able to get, land three of eight takedown attempts against O'Malley, or against uh, Sterling. Yeah. Very impressive. Super impressive, and just nobody gives him the credit. Well, he's going to get the victory him. here. He's going to get some credit. Then he's going to go up and he's most likely going to be uh, Alexander Volkanovsky's next fight. That's my prediction. He's going to get to victory. He's going to go up and get an immediate title shot, and that will be a very good fight. I'm stoked on that I fight, I think so, too. too. But so first, too. let's see how it shakes out. What is your pick? Is it? Uh, I'm, I'm picking decision, Sterling, five-round. Yeah, I think Aljo wins. I think Aljo wins a five-round decision, 50-45. Oh, you're, he's going to get every round? Every round. Every round. All right. Sportsbooks see it about the same. Uh, for the last one, we've got O'Malley at about plus 220, minus 260 for Sterling. About sums it up for me. I think that's how it's going to go. Yeah, me too. Excited for the card, though. Me too. I think this is a this is probably one of the better cards that they've had the last couple of pay-per-views. Yeah, definitely. Word. Well, I think that wraps our show up for today. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks to Binoid. You can find great deals on their products, like we mentioned earlier, during Weed of the Week at our website, where you can also find deals for the UFC store on various products that they have just dropped this quarter. Where is all that located at, Paul? SWATandMade.com, where you can also head over there and kick the gear button, and then you can buy a T-shirt and support the podcast. Then head over to Instagram and follow us at SWATandMadePodcast. See you, everybody. Peace.